Thanks, Brandon, and thanks for bringing the guitar. I, I am glad you did it. Let's, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. <coughs> if you turn there, just a little bit of a reminder as to where we are. We've entered the second section of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about how we should walk, how we should live, and we've seen in chapter 4 that we should walk worthy. We've seen that we should walk holy, and we've talked about some different aspects of what it looks like to walk holy, uh, to put off who we used to be, and now to embrace who we are, we are to become in Jesus Christ, and now we're going to talk about walking in love this morning. In a few weeks, uh, the last Sunday in June, June 28th, we're going to begin a, a new series on a God's design for the family here in Ephesians chapter, beginning Ephesians chapter 5, going through the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 6. And I trust that it's going to be very beneficial for you uh, to see what God's Word says about the family, no matter where you find yourself in life. Uh, perhaps you're a young person and you need to understand about how you're to relate to, to other family members. Perhaps you're a single person and you need to know how you can pray for people who are in families or you can maybe even be preparing, perhaps, if God would have you be a part of a, a different kind of a family someday or maybe you're, you're in the midst of a family situation and you need God's Word to instruct you in how to live. Or perhaps you're past the days of raising children, children are gone, and you need to know how to encourage younger people in the church, how to, to live godly lives. And so I trust this is going to be a very exciting series for us, and we're going to begin that on June 28th, uh, Lord willing. Well, please stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 5, <coughs> verses 1 through 6, reading from a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. Verse 1 of Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a joy it is for me this morning to be back here at uh, this church that means so much to, to me and my family and how much we've missed uh, the, the, the love of, of uh, this, this group of people. And so thank you, first of all, Father, that I can be here this morning. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about your word with others, to, to preach it. And I pray that you'd help me to be faithful to do that this morning. I pray for just my heart that I would be right before you as, as I, I talk about this very difficult things, and I pray that you would be at the heart of others and be working upon their heart through your Holy Spirit. I know that this is a subject that affects so many lives, destroys so many lives, and so, Father, I pray that you would allow people to experience the, the peace that, that purity brings and to experience the joy of, of walking in love and that you would cause the, the people in your church to reject the, the false 
the false loves, the counterfeit loves, the idolatrous loves that that uh, are presented to us through our culture and our own desires. And so, renew us according to your word this morning. I pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Nick Schuyler sat on the top of the overturned boat and clung for dear life to the propeller. He'd been on the, in the ocean for some 41 hours since the boat had capsized. Nick and three other men had left Clearwater Pass, Florida on February 28th of this year and sailed some 50 miles into the Gulf of Mexico. And Nick was with his three friends. Two of them were former, uh, one of them was a former football player for the University of South Florida. Two of them were professional football players. They engaged in some deep sea fishing and then after they, they did that, they pulled up or attempted to pull up the anchor in order to go back home, but as they did that, there was a mishap, and the boat capsized. They were able to retrieve some life jackets from underneath the boat, and they put the life jackets on and tried to climb back onto the bottom of the boat, but it was very difficult. The water came up to their chests, and the waves began to kind of crash over them and knock them off the boat, and they'd have to swim back and climb back on the boat and try to hold on and, and grasp it for a little while longer. And within 12 to 13 hours, two of the men suffering the effects of hypothermia, became separated from the boat and were never seen again. At 37 hours after the boat had capsized, the third man succumbed to the effects of hypothermia and was separated from the boat. And so now, at 41 hours since the time of the boat's being capsized, Nick Schuyler clings to the propeller of the boat, wondering if rescue is even possible. You can imagine the terror that Nick feels, the, the overwhelming sense of dread as he looks out and, and all he sees are thousands upon thousands of acres of, of deep, blue, cold gulf waters. You can imagine the, the terror that you would feel if you were in that situation. Well, fortunately for Nick, rescue at 41 hours was very close. At 42 hours... The Coast Guard found Nick clinging to the propeller of the boat and was able to rescue him. Christians today often feel as though they are adrift in an ocean of immorality. They are immersed in a culture that, that every which way you turn, it seems as though it is, is exalting and, and, and encouraging others, exhorting others to participate in immorality as well. Every which way you look, uh, billboards or, or magazines or, or newspapers, uh, television, movies, uh, the internet, uh, talk radio, it seems that we live in a culture that, that is just exuding immorality and is exhorting others to engage in immorality as well. And for the believer, this can be a very discouraging thing. There can be a sense of, of overwhelming dread as, as we look out and see this, this ocean of immorality in which we are adrift in, this, this culture of immorality. Perhaps you're, you're a man and, and you feel though that everywhere you turn, it seems there are, there are images in our culture that are, that are encouraging you to, to engage in, in, in thoughts that aren't in accordance with what God's word says our thoughts should be in accordance with. Or perhaps you're, you're a woman in this culture and, and you find yourself if you find yourself feeling like you're, you're drowning in, in a sea of, of unmet emotional expectations that, that the culture has, has foistered upon you. You see what the culture says relationships should look like, romance should look like, or, or what your body image should look like. And, and as you are, are listening to this, 
this message from our culture, you, you feel like you're in this ocean of immorality. It can feel very, very helpless. I believe that the church, as it tries to engage a culture that is awash in immorality, faces several challenges. There are several problems the church has had as the church has tried to engage on this issue of immorality. One problem the church has had is that the church is so immersed in immorality, it's hard for the church to distinguish what's right and wrong. The, cultures, uh, the church has succumbed to its culture. The church is a part of the television industry, the, the movie industry, the, 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 the print industry. And we're surrounded by this immorality. And we're a part of the immorality. And so it's hard for us to encourage other people to escape this ocean because we're part of it. It's also hard for the church. Another problem the church has is even when it recognizes immorality and calls immorality immorality, the church has a hard time articulating biblically theologically, why something is immoral. We're known as, as people who just say, well, that's, that's wrong. Why? Well, it is. It, it's wrong. Why? Well, I don't know. It just is. Okay? And so we have a hard time sometimes articulating why we believe immorality is wrong. So we're, we're immersed in it. We have a hard time articulating biblically why something's wrong. Also, I believe we face this challenge. We're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to have frank conversations about God's view of love and sexuality. And because we're afraid to talk about it, our culture is filling that vacuum that the church has created on this issue. And so I believe this morning, as we talk about what God's word says about love, what God says about what it looks like to walk in love, this is a very important message for us as a church to consider. It's very important for us to consider what God's word says. Because, uh, brothers and sisters, despite the fact that you may feel like you're in this ocean of immorality, despite the fact that you may feel like these, these waves are, are so strong, they're, they're crushing you, despite the fact that you may feel like you're up to your, your chests in, in, in filth, God's word says that he offers you rescue. He offers you deliverance from this lifestyle. Here's what I believe is the, the central point of verses 1 through 6 here in Ephesians chapter 5. I believe that the central point of this text that God is telling us is this. God desires his beloved children to walk in love, not walk in lust. God desires his beloved children to walk in love, not to walk in lust. And the beautiful picture that God paints here of what love should look like should be an encouragement to those of us who, who feel like we're helpless sometimes in this ocean of immorality. Let's look here at, at the text, and what we're going to see is we're going to see three things about those who, who walk in love. God calls us to walk in love as believers. We're going to see three things here about those who do walk in love. Uh, first of all, we're going to see that those who walk in love imitate God. The person who's walking in love is a person who's imitating God. Secondly, we're going to see that those who walk in love reject the empty promises of immorality. Those who walk in love reject the empty promises of immorality. And thirdly, we're going to see that those who walk in love are not deceived concerning the consequences of immorality. Those who walk in love are not deceived concerning the consequences of immorality. <clears throat> Let me just say one more word here to, uh, 
perhaps the younger people in our audience. We're talking about immorality, and there are a lot of facets to immorality. And perhaps th- there's a, a lot of, a lot of uh, features to what immorality is. Let me just say, this is kind of the main idea of what immorality is. At its very core, immorality is not loving the way that God says you're to love. Immorality is pursuing love in a way that God says is wrong. You're seeking your joy, not as God tells you to seek joy, but in a way that you desire to seek joy. Instead of worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself. So that's kind of the main idea for those of us who are younger and are wondering, what what exactly is immorality? You and your parents may talk more about some different facets of immorality, but at its core, immorality is seeking seeking joy through worshiping ourselves instead of worshiping God. Let's first look at this idea that those who walk in love imitate God. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A lot of things here that we could talk about, this idea that those who walk in love imitate God. Let me just share three things with you here. First of all, notice this. Walking in love and imitating God are inseparable. You can't say, well, I'm going to walk in love but not imitate God. And you can't say, I'm going to imitate God but not walk in love. These concepts of walking in love and imitating God are inseparable concepts. This this word that's translated imitate means to to copy or to mimic. There's a similar word that's that's used in this this language to describe counterfeiting. The idea is you're trying to, to copy as closely as possible the original. Now, you and I are never going to be able to copy all of God's attributes in, in their fullest, right? But our goal as believers is to begin to, to copy God, to, to imitate God as closely as possible, especially where it comes here to this idea of love. Our daughter, Ellie, is our, our, youngest, our youngest child, and she's at that age, she's two years old, where she copies everything, right? Whitney was talking to me about something the other day. She said, now, you be careful what you say because Ellie will copy you. And we immediately hear this voice, Ellie will copy you, Ellie will copy you, and it's, it's Ellie, okay? The kids have this game where they, they say, hey, Ellie, say this, and they come up with some long word, and then they just laugh, and, or they, you know, they have funny words like garbage. Can you say garbage, Ellie, garbage? Oh, they just think it's hilarious, all right? Now, what Ellie's trying to do, and she's trying to imitate our, our dictation, our, our inflection of our voices, and, and copy us as closely as possible. Those of us who are believers, we are God's children. We have a desire to imitate God. We have a desire to copy him as closely as possible in all features of our life. Okay? And so when it comes to love, our goal is to emulate God in the type of love that he has. Now, second thing to notice here about this instruction, that those who, those characteristic, those who walk in love imitate God. Second thing to note here, it, it's believers who are given this instruction. He says, uh, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That word beloved often refers to the type of love that a, a only child has. This, in the Greek uh, concept, the Greek mindset, there was a certain type of love that would sometimes be given to a child that was the only child. It was an undivided love, a special, unique love. Those of us who are God's children are like beloved children. God has a unique, compassionate love for us. So we're to imitate God as his only children. Now, notice this too. It's kind of perhaps a radical concept. I want to be careful how I say it. But again, those who walk in love imitate God. They're his children. 
what that means is that only a believer, only a person who is indwelled by God, can love as God's called us to love. And so if you find yourself unable to love others, a question you need to ask yourself is, is do I have the indwelling God within me who enables me to love? Okay. Those who have been changed, had this radical transformation, this, this heart transplant from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, have the ability to imitate God by loving as he loves. 1 John 4, 7 tells us, uh, Beloved, uh, let us love one another, for everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Uh, he that does not love doesn't know God. A person who loves has, knows God. A person who has the ability to love knows God. Now, third thing here, this is very important. Those who walk in love imitate God. Walking in love and imitating God are inseparable concepts. Only beloved children have the ability to, to love as God completely as God has called them to. And then this is very important. Thirdly, the definition of love, love is by definition sacrificial. Love is by definition sacrificial. Look again at the text. It says, walk in love as Christ loved us. Again, imitating God. And what gave himself up for us? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. At its heart, love, biblical love, is sacrificial. The person who loves is engaging in a commitment to benefit another person, to sacrifice of themselves for the benefit of another. That is the essence of biblical love. And if your love is not defined by a commitment to benefit another person through personal sacrifice, don't kid yourself. That's not love. There's another element here, too. What's the ultimate purpose of this type of love? Here, Christ gives of himself for us with the ultimate desire of worshiping God, of, of engaging in a sacrifice for God's glory. Look at what it says, too. He says, it's a fragrant offering. It's ultimately a sacrifice to God. And so as we engage in this type of worship, as we engage in this type of love, what we're doing is we're committing of ourselves to benefit another person. Why? So that God receives the glory. Again, don't kid yourself. If that's not what your love is, that is not biblical love. The command to walk in love is a command to walk in such a way that we're so concerned about the needs of others that we're engaging in ministry engaging in service for them, ultimately for the glory of God. In Romeo and Juliet, there's that, that famous balcony scene where uh, Juliet says, uh, what, she's just found out that Romeo is a, a Montague, part of this family that her family's engaged in this feud with. Just like Whitney and my family, incidentally, but that's a different story. <clears throat> that was actually post-marriage. Oh, this is on tape. Diane, edit this out whenever you put it on the internet. Um, so uh, Juliet is on the balcony and she says uh, Romeo, what's in a name? That which we call a, a rose by any other name would what? Smell as sweet. Okay. Now uh, this may not be the ro most romantic illustration but let's reverse that. Okay. She, what she's saying is if you took a rose and, and called it something else it would still smell sweet like a rose. Well, imagine this. Imagine if I, I went out in the back and I hauled in a bunch of garbage and I piled a bunch of garbage on the stage and I called it my rose garden. Just because I call it a rose garden doesn't mean that it, it suddenly starts to smell great. I wouldn't come up here and say, hey guys, come smell my rose garden. Like, oh, that, I love roses. 
okay? That smells like garbage. It's because that's what it is. Here's the application. Just because we call something love doesn't make it love. We need to be very careful that what we call love is what God calls love. And we don't say, well, this is, this is how I love this person, but it's not in accordance with the biblical definition of love, given of ourselves, sacrificing of ourselves for the benefit of another person. If it doesn't fit into that definition of love, we can't call it love and suddenly make it love. You've heard of uh, the love doctor, right? Well, this morning I'm, I'm the love pastor. I'm the, the reverend of love here, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> Let me, let me give you some, some applications here of how, how I believe that this plays out, okay? Some ways that I think it's important for us to consider what love really looks like. Uh, parents, it's important for you, <laughs> you're still laughing about the love, love pastor? I'm going to be hearing about this this week. Uh, you're getting Valentine's cards. Uh, parents, it's important for you to model what sacrificial love looks like for your children, as your children look at your relationship with your spouse, what they need to see are a mom and dad that are engaging in sacrificial love for one another. What they need to see, what you as a parent need to communicate to them is that uh, love stories, fairy tales, love stories are, are very often anything but love stories, biblically. We need to protect our children from a, a faulty understanding of what love looks like. Oftentimes, they get this, this wrong idea about what love is from from uh, stories and from, from songs, and don't pervert your children's understanding of what love is. Now, the emotion, the emotions that we often describe as love aren't bad emotions. You know, romantic feelings aren't, aren't bad things. I'm, I'm very glad that, that uh, my wife and I have a very romantic relationship as well, but our romance is not what fuels our marriage. Romance is what comes out of a commitment to sacrificially love one another. So don't, don't kid yourself, don't fool your children. There's no such thing, this is the harsh love doctor speaking, love pastor, uh, there's no such thing as falling in love. There's no such thing as, as finding true love. Love doesn't lift you up where you belong, okay? That's, that's a wrong understanding of love. I'm crushing hearts, I love it, okay? <laughs> Bobby said there's no such thing as true love. Yeah, that's, that's a, not a biblical concept. You don't fall in love, you, you fall into an open pit, okay? And just, you can jump out of that. If you could fall in love, you could jump out of that. It's not a biblical understanding of love. And yet, it's what our society calls love. And it's a very damaging understanding for a person to engage in. Young people, you know, if right now, at an early step in your, your life, you can say, I understand what true biblical love is. Love is, is benefiting another person by sacrificing myself for them, for God's glory, that is going to help you the rest of your life. It's going to help you as you're involved in, in, in courting or, or whatever you want to call it, dating relationships. In fact, young people, let me just encourage you with this. God's word tells you as, as young people, you're to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that means as you're, you're dating a person, as you're courting a person, you need to be treating them like you treat your brother or sister. And if you're engaged in a relationship with a person, and that person is encouraging you to do things that are leading you away from God, and yet telling you that they love you, they are lying to you. Or they're deceived themselves and lying to you through their own deception. Let me say it again. 
young people, if a person, older people, if a person is encouraging you to engage in conduct that's leading you away from God, and yet saying they love you, they're lying to you, or are deceived themselves. Because love is what? Love is not an emotion. Love is a commitment that you make to sacrifice for the benefit of another person. And that person is not engaged in conduct that's beneficial for you, and they're calling you away from God. That is an important, crucial concept for you to grasp right now. Those who walk in love imitate God. God's love is a wonderful love. It's a love that calls us to sacrifice for the benefit of the other person, and it brings us great, great joy. Those who walk in love imitate God. Secondly, let's look at this. Those who walk in love, those who walk in love reject the empty promises of immorality. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Those who walk in God's love, walk in love as God intended it, intended it to be, reject the empty promises of what we call immorality. Paul says here, again, remember the biblical definition of love, it's a commitment to sacrifice. The world has taken what God has, has called love, this idea of we, we sacrifice for ourselves for the benefit of the person, that's how we pursue joy and love, and they've perverted it. They've twisted it, they've turned it all around. And now, instead of love being giving of ourselves for the benefit of another person, they've given us this, this false, this counterfeit love that says, I take for myself. I worship myself. Instead of worshiping God and giving of myself, I worship myself and take for myself. That's the essence of immorality. A couple things here we note about immorality. Three truths regarding immorality and the, the empty promises that it offers, this, this lust versus love, this immorality that never offers lasting, sa uh, lasting satisfaction. First of all, immorality is, is this perverted counterfeit to sacrificial love. Look at the different terms he uses in verse 3 to describe sexual immorality. First of all, he uses that, that phrase sexual immorality, verse 3, very first part. That word is used throughout Scripture to, to describe a host of, of activities. Uh, prostitution, uh, extramarital affairs, uh, harlotry. It's, it's used uh, to describe uh, spiritual harlotry, wickedness, uh, figurative uh, things as well. Hosea, the Lord says this to Hosea in verse one, in chapter 1, verse 2. This is in the, in the, in the Greek a translation of Hosea. He uses this, the same word that Paul uses here. It says, The Lord said to Hosea, Go take your, yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. The, the land commits great whoredom or immorality by forsaking the Lord. That all those words are the same word of, of immorality. It's the word that we get pornography from. And as Paul uses it here in Ephesians chapter 5, he's not talking just about one activity. He's talking about a host of activities that are characterized by a desire to obtain what we want as opposed to a, a desire to worship God and the sacrifice of ourselves. It can refer to all sorts of types of, of sexual sins. A broad, broad term here. Anything that's outside of God's design for sexuality. The second thing we see here about immorality, or the second word that we use, see, used, used here, it says uh, all impurity 
here he's talking about anything that's, that's, that's not just the action. And perhaps a person could read that and say, ah, well, yeah, immorality is bad. The sexual immorality is bad. And all these activities are bad. But, but I'm, just, I'm just doing this one thing over here. I'm, I'm just, you know, this is just in my mind. It's just something I look at. And it says, all impurity, anything that would go against God's uh, design for how you should live and your attitude toward it. It's any sort of impurity. Then he goes on and he says, and, and greed. That needs to be, that, that's part of this as well. Or covetousness. Well, what does that have to do with immorality? Well, a lot. Remember, what's love? Giving. What's greed? Desiring to obtain for oneself. And that's also part of this immoral lifestyle. Are you greedy for pleasure? If so, that's part of this immorality that's this, that offers empty promises. So immorality is, is this perverted counterfeit to sacrificial love also. Immorality manifests itself in a variety of ways, including our speech. Look here again at verse 4. He says, Let there no, be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Uh, whenever a person is engaged in immorality or has impurity in their, in their minds and in their hearts, it, it's going to be manifested in some way. One of these ways is in our speech. And Paul says, in the part of the believer, the believer should not engage in, in first of all, he says, filthiness. This, this talk that would, would uh, promote immorality. He says, or foolish talk. A foolish talk that wouldn't account rightly for how wrong immorality is. And he says, and coarse jesting. This is like the innuendo, uh, 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 joking around the, these witticisms that involve a very holy act. The act of, of sexual relationships between a, a husband and a wife. Any perversion of that, even in our speech, is prohibited here. So immorality is this perverted counterfeit to sacrificial love. Immorality manifests itself in a, a variety of ways, including our speech. And also we see here, immorality should not be a part of the life of the saint in any way. Look again at verse, the end of verse 3 and the end of verse 4. He says, all these things should not even be named among you, the end of verse 3, as is proper among the saints. He's not saying there that immorality will never take place in the life of a saint, that impure thoughts will never take place in the life of a saint. But he's saying the, the saint has this desire to walk in love. He says it in the verse 4 as well. He says uh, these things are out of place. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. It's not that the believer never engages in immorality or never has thoughts that would be characterized as immorality. But the believer has a desire to walk in love. And the believer doesn't accept immorality in their own life. They have a, a desire to, to push on and, and, to, and to continue to grow in their faith and to grow in their walk with the Lord. And, and those things are not characteristic of who they are now. In Christ, immorality should not even be named among them in that sense. Let me ask you a question that I think is, is very important to think about. Why, why is fill-in-the-blank wrong? Fill-in-the-blank with any sort of immorality. Why is adultery wrong? Why are we as Christians against gay marriage? Why is that wrong? Why is, is uh, premarital relationships, wh why are those wrong? Why are we 
why are we against these things? Why do we think that immorality is wrong? And I think that very often, we as Christians haven't thought biblically about why we think those things are wrong. I mean, we think they're wrong, but we say, well, they're wrong because they're wrong, okay? Which isn't very helpful, first of all, as we dialogue with people who may be in disagreement with us, but it's also not very helpful for those people who may be engaged in those activities or, or tempted by those activities. Without a biblical understanding of why those things are wrong, it's just a bunch of rules, okay? Well, don't do this. Why not? Well, because it's wrong. Oh, all right, Mom, all right, Dad. But we don't have the, the biblical grounding in why those things are wrong that help us through those times when we're tempted by those sins. Here's what I think the text is saying. Immorality should not be a part of the life of the saint. Why? Well, because it's not wrong just because there's some arbitrary parameters, but it's wrong because it's not imitating God. Our desire as believers is to imitate God. We have this desire to walk in God as his beloved children. And immorality, instead of sacrificial love, immorality at its heart is taking. Immorality, it's going to say later, is, is, is akin to idolatry. As we engage in immorality in whatever form, we're engaging in idolatry. We're worshiping ourselves. And so the reason that adultery, the reason that viewing pornography, uh, the reason that, that homosexuality, the reason that all these things are wrong is because at their heart, it's idolatrous. <coughs> what we're doing is engaging in worshiping ourselves. And so instead of saying, my commitment in, in pursuing joy in this area of my life is to give of myself to walk in love for other people, we're saying I, I desire to take for myself. The believer, when offered a counterfeit, when offered the empty promises of immorality, should say, I want no part of that. I want no part of that, not because I'm, I'm holier than other people, not because I'm, I'm some, you know, self-righteous hypocrite. I don't want any part of that because that stuff is worthless to me. Don't offer me these cheap, empty, counterfeit promises. I want the real deal. I want to obtain God. And this physical relationship that God sometimes allows us to participate in the context of marriage is just a picture of the intimacy that we are, will experience with him. And so we say, I don't want the cheap counterfeit. I want to obtain the real deal. I want to walk in love as God calls me to walk in love. Don't offer me immorality. It's not worth it. There's a great movie that just came out. It's, called, it's a Disney Pixar movie called Up. And while we're on vacation, uh, the kids and I and, and Whitney went to go see the, the movie Up. And one of the great things, I'm not going to give away the movie. On the end, uh, at the end, no, I'm just kidding. One of the great things about the movie is the portrayal it paints of, of marriage. Again, without going into too much, there's, there are two marriages that are somewhat contrasted in this movie. One marriage is marked by decades and decades of, of sacrificial love. The other is, is uh, apparently has fallen victim to immorality. Let me read you what one uh, person in World Magazine wrote about the movie Up. <clears throat> it's one of the boldest aspects of Up 
is the lovely portrayal it offers of marriage. Countless animated films include a bride being caught up by a handsome prince, but few portray an ongoing commitment and love that deepens over years. And I think they're exactly right. That is an incredibly bold aspect of the movie Up. So often our culture is bought into, a, remember the first point, we're supposed to imitate God. Our culture is bought into a false understanding of what love is. And so it vo- it, it, we as believers in, a, in this culture are willing to accept the empty promises of immorality. My encouragement to you would be this. Reject immorality. Reject the empty promises of immorality. You know, women, perhaps you've been told something by our culture about what romantic love should be, and you look at your own, perhaps you're not married, and you have this ideal of what true satisfaction in in a marriage relationship would look like. Don't buy it. Perhaps you're you're in a marriage, and and, and you're not feeling the romantic feelings that you desire, and there's this ideal that you have, and it's, 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 it's not a it's not an ideal that's that's biblical and you're not in, engaged in, in sacrificial love for your spouse and I, I just encourage you reject immorality reject this idea that, that satisfaction can be found in pursuing a life that's not according to God's word and men let me encourage you reject the lies of immorality reject the lie that says that the pleasure can be obtained joy can be obtained in means other than what God's word tells us about how joy and satisfaction in life is offered and obtained. Well, let's look finally here. <clears throat> the third point, those who walk in love, those who walk in love are not deceived concerning the consequences of immorality. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, Paul says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. A couple things here to, to, to note. <clears throat> First of all, uh, some people are going to try, some people are going to try to deceive you about the consequences of sin. There's an article in the New York Times a hundred years ago 1909. It was a story, just kind of a blurb, about this man who called himself uh, Alberus. Okay, what Alberus was doing? He was on the. Uh, he was in Atlantic City, and he was trying to to show people what a great magician he was, an escape artist. He took this straitjacket, tied himself up in the straitjacket, and went out to the pier in Atlantic City and was trying to jump off the pier. And there were some safety concerns with that, and so they told him that he couldn't do it. Alberus was, was greatly distressed, and so he hired a boat, went out off the dock, and I guess in view of people still, had three men tie him up again in the straitjacket, and jumped into the ocean. Things didn't go very well for Alberus here. Uh, he found, <coughs> they, he came up for air one time, <coughs> screaming. He came up for air the second time, screaming. He came up for air the third time, screaming, one arm uh, out of the straitjacket and lost consciousness. Okay. They were able to recover Alberus, but I, I don't think that he uh, styled himself much of a magician after that. Here's a little word to the wise. Okay. If you struggle with immorality, if you struggle with immorality, don't put on a straitjacket and jump into the ocean of immorality. Okay. Those who walk in love 
are aware of the consequences of immorality, of the danger of falling and immersing themselves in an immoral culture. So first of all, you see here that some people are going to try to minimize the consequences of this type of sin with, with empty words. That's the first thing. Some people in the culture and our, our own flesh is going to tell us, look, the consequences of the sin aren't that bad. And they're going to use empty words to deceive you concerning the danger that this sin poses to you. They're going to say things like this. Hey, you know what? Everybody, everybody does this. You know what? People that tell you not to do this are just a bunch of religious hypocrites. They don't understand how things really are. They're going to use empty words like this. Hey, biologically, this is how we're designed to act. It's nature. You know what? In nature, uh, sometimes mates devour their spouses, okay? So I don't think nature should really be our, our big criteria of how to act, right? They're going to deceive you with empty words and use these empty words to try to convince you that the consequences of the sin are not reality. Hey, what happens behind closed doors is nobody's business. God sees behind every closed door. And God sees into your mind and into your heart. And there are consequences for leading a lifestyle of immorality. So that's the first thing. There's going to be people that try to deceive you. You may even try to deceive yourself concerning the consequences of immorality. Second thing to think about here is this. There are long-term consequences of immorality. There are long-term consequences of immorality. There, there are, there's a judgment of God that is going to take place in the future. He references it here. Be sure of this, that every person who is sexually immoral and pure, he uses these same words he used earlier, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Ultimately, a person whose lifestyle is characterized by immersion in these sins and has no desire to turn from these things is not going to receive the inheritance of God, of Christ and God. Those are not my words, those are the words of the text. A person who immerses themselves in this lifestyle who has no conviction regarding this, a person who can be said to be an immoral person does not have a place in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. That's the first, the second thing to think about here. Thirdly, thirdly, realize this, that there are also short-term consequences for those who practice immorality. There are also some short-term judgments of God that await those that, that are being encountered by those who practice immorality. Keep your finger in Ephesians and turn back to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Oftentimes, people will say, well, well, Daniel, don't you think that God's judgment is going to come upon our country someday for the immorality that we, we practice? And I say, yeah, I, I think so, but I don't think it's a future date. And I, I, I really don't. I believe God's judgment is on our country at this very moment. We are currently suffering the judgment of God. Why do I say that? Well, look here at Romans chapter 1. Verse, well, let's, let's, let's I'll kind of give you that synopsis of verse 20. It talks about how people are without excuse because God has revealed himself to them. They knew God, but they became futile in their thinking. They uh, became fools, verse 22. They exchanged God's glory for other things. Then look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, and that includes themselves, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so part of God's judgment on people is allowing them to continue in sin. And believer, listen to this. Don't delude yourself by thinking that God's judgment is some future date. Part of God's judgment is allowing you to pursue things that are not going to bring you satisfaction, that are not going to bring you joy. And so the, un, the, the believer should not be deceived concerning the consequences of immorality. A, a believer should say, I want to be a one who walks in love, and I recognize that this is an empty, empty lifestyle. There are short-term consequences that I face as I practice immorality. They're not happy people. What's our application to this? We're going to talk more next week as we talk about walking in light, about some ways to, to overcome the sin in our life through accountability and through shining light on these sins. But let me just say this. This morning, flee God's wrath. <laughs> flee the consequences of sin. Flee youthful lusts. Uh, flee these, this, this immoral culture. Allow yourself to uh, avail yourself to the rescue that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ. Escape by the means that God has provided. The person who's a believer is the person who's realized that they're in this ocean of sin. And it can be immorality. It can be all sorts of sin. They've recognized that they're in this ocean. They have no ability to escape from their own. And they've placed their faith in Christ alone because of his death on the cross. And if you've never done that, that's your escape. Perhaps you're like Nick Schuyler and you're clinging to that boat propeller in this ocean of immorality and you, you feel like there, there's no hope of escape. And immersed in this ocean up to your chest. And God has provided the salvation at this very moment when things seem the darkest through faith in his son Jesus. And maybe you're a, a believer and you say, you know what, I've not walked in love I haven't walked in love as God has told me to. Let me encourage you. Seek the help that God offers you in his word. He's given you the means necessary to live a life of godliness. You know what my hope is this week? My hope this week is that my inbox just is, in my email, is, is full of emails from people, you know. Because I know that this is a, a serious issue for so many of us in here. A few years ago, I, I say this not to brag, a few years ago, I, I preached a message called Purity's Peace at Bethany Baptist Church. And I'm told that at that point, it became the most downloaded sermon by far at Bethany Baptist Church, like in its history. Now, that's not because I'm a great orator. It's not because I'm this great preacher. It's because people are desperate for God's solution in this area. My friend Chris Jenkins is, is careful to remind me that I probably also have the least downloaded sermon, but uh, we won't go into that. <laughs> but people are desperate for God's solution in this area. And let me just plead with you, if you need help in this area, if, if God is, 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 is calling, causing your heart to, to feel the, the pain of, of, of conviction here, praise God for that and seek out help. I, I would love to help you. Our other members of our leadership team, other leaders in our church would love help you experience the joy of walking in God's love. The waves are high. The, the ocean of immorality is immense. But there's a God who's stronger than the waves, a God who's bigger than the ocean, a God who call, calls you to seek joy in him. And the essence of biblical love 
Walk in love. Walk in the sacrificial love. Do not walk in the lust of the flesh. This worship of self. Walk in love. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts in this area and cause us to turn away from immorality and to embrace the, the joy that's found in your son, Jesus. I pray that you would just be very gracious in the marriages and the lives of, of, of singles and lives of our older saints and younger saints who are, are struggling to live a moral life before you. We pray for your victory in this area, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.